This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. That is a real company with a funny name. I'm here with Josh Terengel. Josh, did I get it? No. Yeah, no, like 85%. You, I, feel, I feel like Trump asking Hillary if she's okay with that. No, no, you, 85%. Dude, you grow up with a funny last name and you really get used to all sorts of pronunciations. So that was solid. That was like an A-. minus. So now that I've butchered your name, pronounce it correctly, and tell me what you do. Uh, I'm Josh Tierengel. There you go. I'm the like senior vice president, executive producer of Vice News, which means uh, vicenews.com, Vice News Tonight, which is a new show coincidentally debuting on hbo uh, yeah, as, as, we, as we speak this will be available to watch yes on october 10th we launch and the vice weekly show vice on hbo which is an emmy award-winning documentary series so you're the guy with the long magazine background that shane smith brought in to say make some tv for us and we'll talk about how that happened but i want to talk about the tv show since again since you're listening to this now you can go watch it on hbo you are trying to recreate the idea of, of a nightly news show am i summing that up correctly yeah. I mean, I, so when we first started talking about this as an opportunity, you know, the very first thing I said to Shane and to Richard Plepler at HBO was like, you guys know nobody needs this, right? Like, Good, nobody Good start. Ne- yeah. And, and they were a little bit taken back, but I, I think that was they a They said, way- we want to do this and we want you to run it. And you said, no, this is a bad idea. I didn't say it was a bad idea. I said that you, you have to approach it from the construct that nobody needs it. It's 2016. But you can make people want it. And that's a different thing. And so, you know, in my career- the mistakes that I'd seen made by big media companies again and again and again was to fight the tide of people's behavior and to say, we're going to make this thing. It's going to be this way and people will come to it. And I think that that's when you look at some of the network newscasts, there's this belief that the monopoly will go on forever. And at 630. And you tweak it and maybe the host gets a little younger or now the yeah. host's a woman or maybe right. there's a fresh new segment on whatever. It's treated almost like a dynastic enterprise. And so all you need to do is renew the next monarch but it'll go on forever i grew up in an era when the business was never safe from peril i mean my the formative experiences for me are of people getting laid off and struggling to understand why their companies why their media companies and journalism entities couldn't adapt and so when when we first started talking about this i said look you know i think the key is you got to make people want the news we have to figure out a way to make them want to engage with it and that involves new formats, seduction, surprise. And, and you know, when, so we started talking about it from that perspective. And I went and watched a bunch of the network news shows. And the truth is, they're not bad. I'm just not home at 6.30. And a lot of what's happened throughout the day, I'm seeing on my phone just like everybody else. And, and I'm a pretty, you know, I'd like to flatter myself as someone who's seen a lot of news. And so I can understand the what of news pretty quickly. I think trying to really get people to get context, to X out a story with so much understanding and fact that you don't need to be concerned about it for a while. You know, you get an endorphin hit when you really understand something. And so that's how we started thinking about so it. So you're, you're kind of nuking all my questions in advance. You're oh, very I'm sorry, good at, No, no, it's good. I was going to say, why are you guys making a, a, a nightly news show aimed at an audience that doesn't watch nightly news? And by the way, it's on a pay TV channel and this audience doesn't pay for TV or at least doesn't get traditional pay TV. Or if it does, it's in increasingly smaller numbers. But you kind of covered that, right? Okay. Which is we want to make something awesome. And we think they'll they'll want to watch it. And you also covered the we're not. It sounds like you're not going to try to tell you what happened that day because you already know what happened that day. Well, I, so look, I, I don't I don't think you can make rules in one of these things. You can have beliefs, right? You can have a philosophy. I wouldn't have an ideology. What we keep talking about here is how do we add value, right? Now sometimes you add value through your reporting. You just have better reporting. Sometimes it's through storytelling. Sometimes it's just because. You got better visuals. And one of the things about the TV or video business is that 
People may have heard that Russian jets invaded NATO airspace further south than ever before. If you show it to them and your edits are good and smart, you've changed it. You've added value. And one of the things that's so attractive about what Vice has done is that, you know, it's taken filmic style video and produced it at scale. The editors here, the post-production is amazing. And so I don't close the door on any execution, but what, what we all have trained ourselves to ask is, all right, can we add value? How do we do it? Because nobody's watching anything out of obligation anymore. You know, I, I remember, you know, for years and years, the Wall Street Journal, a lot of my friends were there, would talk about the fact that they would do a story even though everybody in the audience knew it. Right. Because, you were required, you were serving some audience that wasn't your audience. Right. And now I know that people already come with some knowledge. They're not going to watch something if they already know it. And if you start to bore them, their patience for media when you're boring them is zero. So can you just talk some, about some of the mechanics of the show? You guys sent yeah, me sure. your guys sent me a, a cut from late August. You guys were going to launch in September. You delayed it, so maybe you tweaked it a bit. I was struck by a couple of things. One, there's there's no news anchor. No one's telling me this is today's news, and no one's throwing into a package. So that seems like a clear choice on your part. We don't want to have that. Yeah, and and truthfully, the first and fastest way to differentiate is to take away the anchor and take away the desk. It's wildly inconvenient for those of us on the end having to make the show. I mean, having a nexus point who is a human right. is really easy to produce with. And but, by the way, that person can read news headlines, too, yeah, right? And tell you what happened. Totally. And that way, if you don't have awesome video, they can put up a Chiron and say, this is a thing. Absolutely. And they, but, but I will tell you, it's surprising how limited the format actually is, right? So if you're a network news show today, and again, I, I want to be very clear, they do a lot of good work, but uh -huh. they're trapped in a format in which... They either have video from the field or they have a read, right? So if they have to read it and it's too long or too tough to get across, then the story never happened. And I think one of the, you know, my pet theories about why viewership, particularly among a younger demo, declined is that everything that they do from the theme music to the set to the types of stories radiates that what they really value is comprehensiveness and authoritativeness, right? That that's what they're aiming to deliver to you tonight. This is the world. This is the world, right? But- if you can't do certain kinds of stories because they're too complicated to read or you don't have footage, but I know on my phone that it happened, mm -hmm. well, then you begin to fall out of step with your audience. And so one of the reasons that we've really embraced this idea of like, no story should be too hard to do is because we don't want to fall out of step. So even when something happens in a white paper and it's consequential, figure it out. It's 2016. If we're going to earn your time... The onus is on us to figure it out. I'll just give you an example early on when we were sort of templating stuff. You know, there's a huge story. The UK did a nine-year investigation into the death of a Russian spy on its soil. Turned out, quite definitively, they say that Vladimir Putin authorized the execution on their soil. That's a pretty big story. It was not a TV story at all because it was inside a paper. Made a little bit of news on the New York Times and some other places. And we were like, all right, so, so this is hard. How do you do it? And we went to an animator. I like a really beautiful animation of this story that's completely factual because we pulled it from the report. But animation is a way to, to dramatize yep. facts in narrative. And it's not a move we're going to do every day. But the, the goal here is like nothing should be too hard. We've got great coders. We've got great designers. We've got great shooters and editors. Really smart correspondents. There's a solution out there someplace. Let's figure it out because each one of those points of differentiation is going to help us. The, the other thing I noticed right off the bat watching this was, boy, this is serious. There's no fake levity. There's no news you can use. There's no, 
clearly because there's no anchors at all. There's no throwing to the wacky weather guy or the wacky sports oh, guy. Oh, we've got like eight wacky weather guys. So just, we're just, just hiding We're just somewhere. auditioning which one is going to be the right guy. So my read was, you guys want to make a statement, which is, this is the real shit. We're going to, we're going to not going to waste your time. This is serious. And my thought was, that sounds great, but maybe people like some fun stuff too. Yeah, and look, you're you're looking at one thing, right. so so obviously don't read too much into it. But part of the way we went about figuring out how do you, I don't believe that we can be comprehensive on the news. I think we can be comprehensive in touching all of the points of interest a person has. So obviously we have world news. Obviously we have domestic news that we kind of break out into politics and policy, economics. Not a famously visual subject, but you know from my background I know how important it is. Civil rights and civil liberties, which has never been more important, but has a requirement for some expertise. You just can't throw somebody on that beat. They got to know what they're doing. National security, national defense, right? And education is in there too. Those are core stories for us. Technology, which I think you're interested in, completely under leveraged by the TV business. And you know, from speaking with executives at these companies, most of the time when they want to tell their story or break news, they're going to you, they're going to Business Week, yep. they're going to the very few select places they think understand what they do. I know that our potential viewers have a 16-hour-a-day relationship with Apple and Google and Facebook and lots of other companies, when they make news, it matters to them. So we're really serious about covering technology in that way. Climate is a fourth sort of pillar where, again, you need people to really understand the story. We don't want to cover it as a scold. We don't want to keep telling people that the waters are rising. We actually want to tell them, like, here are some of the scoundrels. Uh, here are some of the things that are actually happening. But that's a key component to us. And the last is culture. We, we actually believe that pop culture is interesting to people yes, and undervalued. It's either treated, you know, in a sort of like Entertainment Tonight kind of way, or you're getting longer and longer essays on websites, certainly longer and longer oral histories about uh, unimportant movies. We want to, we actually want to bring that to life. And so every night we want to be able some to- some of that. Yeah. I mean, look, are we going to have all five every night? No, because proportionally- World news and U.S. news takes up a lot of the oxygen. If I'm watching this on, on HBO, it's linear. I've got to watch it in an order. Is there an option for me if I'm consuming it digitally to hop back and forth between segments? Yeah, and I, and I would say one of the most pleasing things before I took the job was there's a shared understanding that, like, we're not going to force people to consume this only one way. So it's on HBO Go. It's on It's on HBO Now. In those places, you can disaggregate individual pieces from the entire show. You can scan. Um, and both are touch-enabled. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer that you have to signal to people on different platforms. You understand the platform. So if you're watching on one of those apps, a little small icon of a finger is going to come up. Pops up and says, you can get to this culture piece over here right now. It says that. It also says, hey, there's a really interesting sort of director's extra in here. And if you touch it, we're going to move the frame of our story up and you're going to see an extra story. You can see a graphic that you can interact with. Because uh, as you know, in order to make a simple graphic, you first have to make a complicated one. Let's show people some of that data. And then we do a lot of reporting from FOIA documents. You know, when we do that, you should be able to see the document and not leave the app to get that experience. So these are like kind of basic things from a technological perspective. But yep. we want to make sure people understand we know where they are. Consume us any old way you want. And seven days after, this, everything we do comes back to the web. It pops up on the line. Yeah couple of mechanical questions, a little silly to sort of talk in advance of a thing that we're going to be able to see and you can go look at it instead of hearing us talk about it. But one of the hallmarks of, of Vice Video, Shane Smith on camera, he's an awesome character. Um, he's great on camera, but he's not going to be in the show, right? Oh, no, he'll be in the show. He'll be in the show. Okay. It's just Shane is in a sort of somewhat 
out of history kind of conundrum in which he is the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, the executive producer of a weekly documentary show, and our biggest star. And so the, the only thing he, I can... We had him on stage last, in February, he said he's a brand artist. Have you heard the term before? It was a new one He's for a me. performance artist yeah, is what he exactly. is. Shane is, Shane is, uh, is really something, really smart guy. But we'll use him when we can use him and where we think he's best. And Shane wants to be a part of the show. But it's not going to revolve around him in the way that other stuff often does. No, he's not He's not the anchor. But you'll see him, uh, my guess is without spoiling anything, you'll probably see him a little bit early on. Okay. And we're going to continue to deploy him in ways where we think he can really make a difference. And because it's daily. Yeah. And there's still, I, I would imagine, either pressure or self-imposed expectations that you guys should be talking about what happens that day. There's no anchor to tell you what happened that day. So you guys will start on Monday, the 11th. There's a debate the night before. How do you think about covering an event that happens the night before and you're going to tell people about it a day later? Well, we think about it all day, every day. I mean, it is the conundrum that you want to steer clear of. And, um, you know, I go back to the the original idea here is like add value, right? And so if that debate, the vi- we're talking on a day when the vice presidential debate happened the night before. It is not the first thing we talked about and it's midday. And that was not a wildly consequential event. By 7.30 tonight, it will be so far in the rearview mirror. Now, there are other moments where you you absolutely have to seize the agenda and get on it. And so these are the kind of like deeply religious philosophical questions that go back and forth all day, every day in, in lots of newsrooms. Ours is no different. What I've tried to get across to everybody is that our battle is very, very pitched, okay? Most of our competitors are dealing with abundance. Most people are getting their news on a social platform on a TV cable platform that's on 24 hours a day. We've got between 20 and 30 minutes a day to tell people stuff. And so scarcity is where we have to go to. So when we do stuff, it can't just be to check a box. It can't be to uh, defy a perception that maybe we don't have yesterday's story. We have to do stuff that adds value in one way or another. How long do you give yourself to figure this out? When is this baked? Did I come back in six months and say, this is the show? In a year, this is the show? Listen, I think... I would not serve you raw dough. <laughs> I mean, it's baked. Uh, what I've always seen is that you begin to learn a lot about yourself based on what your feedback is, but also just on what you like. And so, you know, we're going to tweak constantly. And w- what I've learned also from watching everybody else, you can't stop. Like, you're never done. And so I think when, when I look at network news, it feels like a finished product and it feels like it was finished a long time ago. I think if you stop surprising people, they notice really quickly. Um, and that goes for any platform. So we're never really going to be done. You got to get used to that if you want to work in this business in 2016. This would be a high pressure thing in any circumstance, but it's coming after your company launched Viceland, the, the 24-hour channel on cable. Um, there's a debate about how that's performing, but a lot of folks think it's it's underwhelming. And then HBO has launched the, the Bill Simmons show. That's not doing great. So you're the sort of second new HBO digital millennial thingy. Uh, and you're also Vice's second attempt, or I guess third attempt, because they did Vice for HBO, to break through on TV. Is that added weight for you or doesn't Dude, matter at this point? You're killing me. I know. I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty good at tuning out those externalities. I mean, we, I have always felt like great things don't fail, right? And that even though the media business is sometimes a fucking nightmare – you have control over what you make. If you make something that you feel is really, really great, more often than not, you don't have that much to worry about. It's hard because you obviously hear lots of noise. And the media business and the journalism business in particular has never been more competitive. There's a lot of good work out there. 
But I think if we focus on what makes us different and smart and we listen to people's feedback on what we're doing, that we'll probably, you know, probably be okay. That's optimistic. I like it. Got to be optimistic. I mean, it's we have these crazy fun jobs and you can see, you know, I, I love the fact that when I started in this business, I was literally put in a broom closet next to other people in a broom closet. The art directors worked on a different floor. Here and today, you're working with people so much smarter than you are in so many different realms. And it's exciting. That challenge is really exciting. And it's more just like, how do you orchestrate all that to be new, to be different, to be exciting for other people? So, yeah, I don't, I mean, the externalities are what they are, but like, I can't control that. I can just know that like, if I can get the right designer together with the right journalist and the right motion animator, we're going to make something people haven't seen before. And that's super exciting. I'm speaking to you a couple days before you're launching a new show, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm extra uh, appreciative of your well, time today. Well, I'm grateful for that. And as you know, in launches, like, and I'll quote True Detective, like, time becomes a flat circle. So when you're here Season one. all day and all night, it's not, you know, it's, it's easy to find a couple of minutes to talk. Yeah, your folks said, yeah, yeah Josh will do something. I said, we tape on the Upper West Side. Oh, no, no, Josh. Is yeah, no, I, building. I, uh, I live in the East Village, and I have been to the Upper West Side, I'm going to say, in the 20 years I've lived in New York, Less than 15 times. That was about me before I became a podcaster. Oh, do you think that now that there's a beacon that yeah. I'll come up to the Upper West Side yeah. more often? Yeah. If, you, if you want this kind of adapt, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what the kids say. Um, you said something great at the beginning. You said you talked to Shane Smith and Richard Pepler when they, before they hired you or after they hired you? Before. And they wanted to bring you over. You had a great job at Bloomberg. And you said, the thing you're proposing is, is not a thing we need. Is that a traditional sort of negotiating ploy for you? Oh, I don't negotiate. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not canny enough or savvy enough to negotiate. What I, you know, I, I started really at Time Magazine, and um, I had a great conversation with Walter Isaacson before I started, and he said two things. I mean, one was uh, in media, never miss an opportunity to define yourself. If you can do something that that says this is what Time Magazine stands for or whatever you're working at, always do it. Always overinvest in that. And the other thing he said is like, in these jobs, you got to be prepared any day to put your badge on the table and say, you know what? I can't execute that. And if you want somebody who can execute that, there are a lot of great people. He said he had thought about that a lot and unemotionally for a long time. And so- Because usually the advice is figure out how to do the thing your boss wants. That's how you climb the ladder. Yeah. I I just don't, I, I don't think that's a really effective way to make good things. And even when I was, you know, when I was talking about the job at Business Week, I knew that there were a ton of people more qualified than I was, that magazine jobs come up about as often as NFL coaching jobs. So, you know, you take what you can get and you try and work with it. But I wrote out like a really long document that said, very specifically, here's what I would do with this property. And by the way, if it's not what you want to do, that's totally cool. It's really hard. These jobs are so tough and so emotionally draining that you don't want to have to fight over the premise. And so I think you have to be really clear with people what you see as the opportunity and really unemotional if they say, well, we see it differently. So let's talk about how, how you got from there and these various waypoints. Um, you grew up in Baltimore? I, I did, right? yeah. Uh, you get to Time Inc. and Time Magazine back when that's still a thing and still Time Magazine still has weight and you are a rising star there. At some point you start managing I think, all of digital. Yeah. And then everyone says, oh, well, Josh will be the next editor of Time Right. Magazine. A leading indicator that you will not be the next editor of Time Magazine. Did you want to be the editor of Time Magazine? Yeah, of course. This I mean, late for, 90s? Yeah, for a time and in, in sort of the mid-2000s. What I saw was that I felt like I had, you know, I was the young guy in every room. There's always one. 
who's just sort of like ambassador to whatever Josh it is. Josh is in the future. Yeah, whatever it is that executives don't understand. There's always one person who's supposed to be the, the sort of great oracle of the future. And I was that guy for a while. Um, and I thought at the moment that I was that guy that there was still time to shift this vaunted American brand into the reality were, of new media. Were the people that you were in the room with, the older people, were they aware that the concept of a weekly news magazine was obviated by 2005, or do they still think this was a thing? I think some were very aware, and others, the way I put it to one person in particular, was like, look, there's just a huge difference between people who want to work another three years and people who have to work another 30. And so if you want to work another three years, what you're looking at at the revenue of Time Magazine in you 2004, the can down the road. you're like, well, you know, well, let me manage decline. If you want to work another 30, you're like, Let's not defer any pain. Whatever has to come, let's do it. Let's get to the new thing as quickly as possible. And now that I'm a little bit more mature, I realize I was probably a huge pain in the ass about that. Right. Because, by the way, it's, it's not easy to make that conclusion, but it's really hard to actually do it. And almost no one says, we're going to retool. We're going to take a loss now and we're going to retool our business. Followed the music business forever. They were unable to do it. The TV guys are struggling with it now. It's, it's just a really hard thing to do, even when you can see it. It's... A hundred percent right. And so I knew even, I mean, shortly after there was, you know, the rumblings that I was going to be the new young editor of time. I was like, well, I better get used to the fact that one, that may not happen because there are a lot of other people interested in that job. And two, my vision for what could happen here may not be synced up with what the company wants to do. And I probably was aggravated about that for like two or three months, at which point, you know, what what was your plan to, to blow up Time Magazine? Well, it wasn't to blow it up. It was it was actually to, to make it, to carve out territory that it could own. I mean, I, one of the frustrations, and, and you know, my friend Joel Stein, who's still a columnist there, we used to joke about the kind of perfect Time Magazine story. And I think what we came up with was how Jesus taught your babies the science of sharks. It just sort of like touched it all, right? <laughs> yeah. But Jesus on the cover is famously a great thing for a Newsweekly. Always works, right? But the problem is that if you're covering everything, you're not really covering anything. And in an era when all these specialty publications were coming up, you know, my... A lot of what I thought about is, you know, it may be painful for Time Magazine not to cover sports. Nobody's reading Time Magazine for sports. What they're reading it for are just a couple of things. And you have to be better at those things than everybody else and build a firewall. It's similar, really, to the challenge you're talking about for news, right? Like, there's no point in a weekly news magazine to tell you what happened earlier that week. And there's no point in a daily newscast to tell you what happened last night. Right. And look, when I say nobody needs this thing, you know, David Remnick at The New Yorker, the world could live without The New Yorker. What it does is add value. The stories are right. great. They're incredibly well-written, if not always timely. So you have to find your way into that. And mine for Time Magazine was own a couple of subjects in a narrative way that would make you untouchable, right? You've got to own American politics. You've got to own certain parts of the world. Uh, for Time, science is a huge deal, science and medicine. So I, I was advocating you got to really carve those things up. Pick a couple things, do great in-depth stuff, make it indispensable yep. for people who want that stuff, and then leave the rest. Exactly. 2008, 2009, you go to Business Week, right. which was has, faces the same problems as, as time, is doing even worse. It's doing so badly that, that McGraw-Hill sells it to Michael Bloomberg for a dollar plus debt, I think, was the yep. deal. And you take that job. What was the, Who recruited you for that? So I had worked with Norm Perlstein at Time, Inc. And Norm is just, you know, he's one of those godfather-like figures and so I got a call from Norm on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock, and he asked if I could go to breakfast with him the next morning at 8. I was like, oh, okay, well, this will be interesting. And he, he sort of leaned over the table at Balthazar, and he's like, so 
what do you think of Business Week? And I sort of paused for a second and I was like, well, uh, I haven't read it in five years. And he, and you know, you're, I realized the correct answer. as soon as I said it, I realized like, okay, well, this meeting is about to go one of two ways. And Norm sort of paused and he has this voice that comes up from like the bottom of his boots. And he's like, neither have I. And then he just laughed yeah. for, and I was like, oh, okay, well, this could be interesting. So he talked to me. I, I mean, I went through, I must've met 18 people at Bloomberg along the way, which is sort of par for the course on a Bloomberg hiring process. I submitted this very long document that just was a roadmap. It's like, look, here's what year one of this is going to look like. Here's what you're going to get. Here's how the subjects are divided up. I think that was pretty persuasive, but it was also incredibly useful to me because as soon as I had thought it through, I then was able to give it to my creative director who I hired the next week. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And you, you can move so much faster once you've articulated stuff. And then you did this great magic trick, right? You did this great transformation of that magazine. You made it a must-read. It was a great title. It had these eye-popping covers, so you got great attention there. And then great in-depth reporting. I mean, it's really sort of the model for how you make a weekly magazine interesting. And you did great there, and I would assume you could have stayed there as long as you wanted. Did you have a TV ambition? Did you have a next-thing ambition? I mean, I had a great time there, and I will say... I was treated like a princeling. I mean, every uh, people treated me so much better than I deserved to be treated. I do think these are zeitgeist gigs. And so I've watched magazine editors over the years stay forever because they're such good jobs. But it's not actually fair to the even thing Even in 2014, 15, they're great jobs. They're great jobs. You get to be creative. You, get to, you still get to have impact on the way people think about the world. They're great gigs. Um, but you can begin to reach a point of diminishing returns creatively. As a writer, I found that when I was covering the same subject for the third time, it's like, geez, uh, I got nothing to say here. And so I originally sort of put in my head, and Norm and I talked about it, like, you know, maybe after five years, success for me is getting something out the door that looks and feels really different and then grooming people to come along. And the truth is by year five, more stuff had changed, right? And so I... I'm really curious about visuals and their impact. It's a different muscle that I like to exercise. And yeah, like I'm not doing as much good for that title and for Bloomberg as I could have been doing before. So you were itchy. I was I was itchy, but I also felt that at a certain point I would be doing the job poorly or or less well just because, you know, how many Warren Buffett covers can one person do? Now, we didn't do a ton of them, but the task never changes in some ways. You're always dealing with different ingredients, but you still yep. got to bake that pie once a week. And digitally, the same thing. And I've been working on digital for 12 years at that point, too. The idea of taking on a very difficult mission with a new form, with a tolerance for risk, which both Vice and HBO have, you know, that's pretty tough to find. So does Shane Smith call you up and say, let's go to breakfast at Balthazar? I'm saying, I'm assuming it's drinks and it's not in... Manhattan. So if he's if he's true to form, or maybe he no, flips we, it around. We met here. Yeah. I mean, we I came to the office. Shane and I sat down, and what was all, your perception of him prior to showing up? You know, I thought he was obviously very ambitious and very aggressive. I thought that he had sort of gamed the media system pretty well. I didn't know whether he was smart. I didn't know whether he cared about journalism. And we just sat down and started talking. I mean, there was nothing. There was no ceremony. There was no boozy nights out. Like. I think both of us understand just how rare the opportunity is to to try and make something new out of something old with a premium audience that seems to be interested in what you do. So we, we had like a two, two and a half hour conversation right off the bat, talked a little bit about 
what things you would need to do in order to make this different. Uh, and we're just sort of off from there. Reputationally, especially then, right, vice is still sex and drugs and, and sort of violence tourism, maybe to some degree, right? We're going to get a young guy with a, with a certain kind of facial hair and strap a camera on him and hope he comes back alive and it'll be some crazy stuff. Did you think, all right, we've got to tweak that or that's the energy I want and we can bring that to a newscast? I mean, I, look, I thought the weekly show was great. I'd watched a bunch of it. It certainly had generated enough headlines, and I think it had taken more of a pivot, almost a too serious. I mean, I love the mischief that's involved yeah. with the seriousness of the reporting, and I think the balance of that is crucial to Vice being Vice. Um, you know, the way I put it to him is like, look, you have done the two hardest things in journalism, right? You cover conflict and you cover extremism very well. And by that, I, I literally mean you cover war and you cover people at the fringes of politics and culture and religion in ways that nobody could ever imagine. I presume you want to take this HBO deal because it will allow you to take more of that mainstream, but you have to keep the kernel of that in everything that we do. And we both kind of agreed that somewhere that we would eventually find the right needle of how much of it you need and how much of of it you want to diversify with. And then you, you said at the beginning, I, ta- I told Shane Smith, who runs Vice, and Richard Plepler, who runs HBO, this, you, you guys don't need this. So are you reporting to two people at the same time and no, no, building I'm a new show? A, I'm a Vice employee. You're a Vice employee. Yeah. You H- guys are making a show, and HBO has basically said, we're going to put it up on air. Yeah, and HBO is client number one, right? And so, you know, we are in touch all the time. But they came to Vice to do this. They could have done it anywhere. They came to Vice to do it because of what Vice had already accomplished. And because there's a lot of belief that Shane can make it happen. And so, but it's it's just the regular amount of back and forth between two people invested in, in success. And know your head's down. I know you're making a show. I know you don't have time to read stories about what's going on with Disney or whether you're going to go right. public. But it has to be a distraction, right? There's a Disney discussion that goes on and off. If that doesn't happen, something else is going to happen. It's not. I mean, I, and I'm not saying that to be coy about yeah. it. Like, it's just not. In the, in the sense that, like, so look, I- It's I not would, a distraction for you. It's not a distraction for me. I don't think it's a distraction for other people. What happens, happens. Most of our staff is younger than me. I mean, I'm fucking Methuselah around this joint, which is sad, but it's true. I lived through one acquisition, right? I, I was at time when AOL and Time Warner merged. That's and right. I will tell you, I saw the worst issue of a magazine ever produced that week. I mean, people were buying summer houses. They were like running out the door. They'd been there a long time. They were celebrating. That's not this and I think while people are sort of interested in if there's an acquisition, if there's a like, I just don't think one that they're old enough or invested enough for it to be meaningful to them personally. It's not that they're in, uninterested, right? But like, it's a different culture than 1999, where there's an expectation that I'm going to get some of this dot com money. Yeah, I mean that it, that's just not what people are thinking about. That said, Shane's doing profiles of his 26 million dollar house in the journal, so there's everyone gets that there's money. Yeah, I mean, look, there's money and there's wealth and and more power to the guys who founded the company and got it here. But that's I just don't sense as I walk around the building that there's like a bunch of whispers about like, oh, do you think it's going to be Disney? Like, I've been in those companies where that happens. I think people are pretty like, yeah, if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, great. They're pretty comfortable no matter what, that this is a Williamsburg-based Brooklyn company and the character of it's pretty strong. But yeah, I don't hear a ton of like, gossip in the halls about it again you're busy making a show so i'm busy making a show I mean, it's possible i'm oblivious and there's actually a, a acquisition committee that's been formed amongst rank and file staffers but I, I just i think i would know and i don't see too much of that like i said many times you're busy making a show i will let you go make that show josh thanks for your time 
Good news for you, the Recode Media listener. This is not the only Recode Media podcast you are getting this week. This is a bonus week. So check back with us Thursday. We've got another great guest for you. Same charge. It's free. You're welcome. Thanks to Digital Media for distributing it. And thanks to you guys again for listening. See you next week.